The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, sitting there and looking at your CGM or sitting there and testing your blood sugar every five minutes isn't going to change it any faster. If anything, it's going to make it 10 times worse because now you're stressed. <laughs> so that's what I was advocating is the arm, you know, knowledge, respond, move on and life will be okay. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. It's always my pleasure to have you here every week. And I hope the week has been going good for you. I hope the day has been going good for you. Whatever you have been up to, whatever you are doing right now, if you're in bed, if you're driving the car, if you're out for a walk, if you're in the gym, I hope you're doing it with intent. I hope you're living consciously, like we always say on this podcast. But the guest that I have today, you are going to love. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Mr. Ben Zeal with a silent T, just so you know, for future reference. So Ben has been living with type 1 diabetes for over 23 years. And admittedly, you will hear throughout this podcast, his time with the condition, he wasn't always as confident as he is today. And during his early years, he struggled with the mental and and even social challenge that oftentimes diabetes can bring about. But despite that, Ben used the doubt, negativity and challenge as fuel towards his success personally with his physical, his mental health, but also in his business where he sees continued success. So Ben, if you don't know him. He is a registered dietitian. He is a diabetes educator, a strength and conditioning specialist. He's the founder of Your Diabetes Insider. We'll have the link below where he helps diabetics reach their optimum physical and mental health with their condition. You will get so much value and knowledge from Ben in this episode. I really enjoyed it. Hope you do too. Speak to you soon. Let me actually just say first, me and Ben have been speaking. <clears throat> There's a voice crack. Good start to the podcast. My voice cracks every single episode, just so you know. <laughs> Me and Ben have been speaking for over over 30 minutes right now. So he said, we best start recording because both of us have things to do. But Ben, I would love to just jump straight in here, right? Let's and I was on your Instagram bio 
earlier today and the quote in your bio, let me find it says, showing you how to take control of your blood sugars and eat the foods that you love, which I loved to read because I yes. believe that too. And I appreciate it. But what's very common for people living with type 1 diabetes is almost like that fear of carbohydrate, that fear of quote unquote bad foods or foods that most of us enjoy. What sort of advice from a diabetic dietitian would you <laughs> offer for somebody or to somebody who is afraid of carbohydrates? Oh, man. I was going to say, it's, it's such a loaded thing first, right? Because first <laughs> yeah. there's carbs, but then there's like the food that has carbs and then the stuff that tastes good, right? I feel like it's totally, it's two totally different areas. But if someone's just terrified of carbs, they look at carbs and they think, I can't have this. I shouldn't have this. This is bad. The first thing I want to tell people is don't think of food as good or bad. Food is just food. And you choose to give meaning to if that food is going to be a good food or a bad food. So just, you know, some has more carbs, some has less carbs, some has more calories, some has less. There's no, nothing inherently wrong or bad about any kind of food. So that'd be the first thing is, you know, to really start focusing on that relationship, throw out everything anybody's ever told you about carbs and all of the potential misconceptions and make the decision for yourself. But then the second thing would be if they're nervous about carbs. Don't dive in immediately. Get, you know, a gigantic piece of birthday cake. <laughs> you know, and slabs of cookie dough and just start eating it. You know, if you're <laughs> nervous about that, you've got to slowly work your way into it and say, hey, maybe I'm going to start with half a bagel. And, you know, I'm going to see how this does with my blood sugar. I know that it's a controlled environment. I know that this is how many carbs that the label says it should be. And then I'm going to work from there. And then eventually over time, you know, working with your care team, working even as your own science experiment, ultimately saying, hey, I'm going to progress up the ladder until I do get to the you know, the crazy birthday cake and the slab of cookie dough and everything else that tastes good and sounds good right now. So again, completely agree. It's like, if you jump straight in, it's going to be very difficult to understand, <laughs> well, what are my, what are my ratios around this type of food? And as you said, like, even if we're throwing in fat and protein, it obviously has a different impact too, which you oh, can yeah. go down a rabbit hole talking about from your own perspective or from your own experience or even just how you manage your diabetes like mm -hmm. what sort of carbohydrate intake do you typically stick to or do you have any sort of routine around how you eat Ooh, that is a great question too so i'm i don't want to say that you know don't follow what i do because i'm you know every person is very individualized and i'm sure you eat way different number of carbs than i do for me it's strictly dependent on the day if we're going out to eat, for example, I'm going to eat more carbs than on a day where I'm just eating at home and nothing super exciting. But on average, I eat probably 150, 180 grams of carbs per day. I've been in my life. I've tried that, you know, let's go low carb and stick to less than 50 per day type of thing. I've also tried the let's eat 450 carbs per day and see what happens kind of thing. Because I figured what better way as a at the time as a future dietitian now as a dietitian than to have the experience on both ends of the spectrum. So I know how my body feels. I know what blood sugar trends to expect. I know how I'm going to perform on a workout side of things and just be able to speak to patients from my own experience, not just from the textbooks. I feel like that drives me crazy more than anything. And I won't get on a soapbox, I promise. But when <laughs> people say, oh yeah, I can handle, I can work with people with diabetes and I'm a dietitian or I'm whatever. And all they know is the textbook. Mm. It drives me bananas because you can quote a textbook all you want. But one of the big things is if you live with that, it's a totally different story. 
that and that's that I will, you know, we could rant about that all day. Mm. But I'd say for me, if I 150 to 180 depends on the workouts I do depends on the, you know, if we're going out to dinner, if we're on vacation, a lot of things go into it, but I still try to approach everything relatively similarly, like with the the dosing and paying attention to fat and protein, I wanted to stay cognizant of what's going to be put into my body. So I know how I'm going to respond. Total, we've been speaking now for probably just about an hour. And I'm like, why couldn't you have been my dietitian when, when I was diagnosed? Because you're hitting the nail on the head. It's like, yes, of course, the textbook is important, but it's a whole different story, a whole different ballgame living with diabetes. And you're in tune with the physical, the mental and the emotional that diabetes includes or entails. But even just based on your own personal experience with those different ways of eating, Ben. Mm-hmm. Even if we just look at like high carb compared to your experience with super low carb, like what differences did you experience in terms of like energy or <clears throat> performance in the gym or even blood sugar? So with that, it's it's definitely, and I guess for me, high carb is going to mean something different than if you ask one of the people that was in my dietitian cohort in grad school, right? Or it's mm. going to mean something different than to someone who eats 700 carbs a day. My, you know, 200 might seem like it's a lot to some, but nothing to others. And I think the biggest thing I noticed was on really, really high carbs, when I was doing that, I felt okay. I feel like everybody's body is supposed to be landing somewhere on the spectrum where some people do better on high fat and lower carbs. Some people do better on high carb, lower fat. And your goal, and really my goal as a dietitian working with people, is to figure out where you are on that spectrum, where you feel your best physically, where your blood sugars are their absolute best, and where you feel like from an activity perspective, you can do all the things you want to do. And so that's something we really work on with the people we work with is, hey, how can we find where you're at on the spectrum? And then more importantly, like for me, I'm kind of in the middle, but on 450 carbs a day, I did not feel my best. My workouts were decent, but I certainly felt like I was kind of lethargic, kind of dragging a little bit. My numbers were more volatile than I would have liked for them to be. And then on the flip side, on the 40, 45, sometimes 30 grams of carbs per day, it took about six weeks for my training to catch up because my body was not ready for it. I don't know if you've ever done low carb before, but it's it took me a long time. I watched all of my lifts just drop by 10 to 20% right out of the gate. And it took a solid couple of months to get back up to where I you know would have been before. I felt better than I did on the really high carb, but it also there was still something where I was thinking like, Hey, I can stick to this for a while, but what if I do want a piece of cake? You know, what if I do want some chicken Alfredo pasta? And that just sounds really good right now. So I'm thinking about it. Right. But what if I want that? And then I feel like I'm restricted into this box that I can't have it air quotes. Right. Mm. So that to me, I kind of ended up landing in the middle because I figured, Hey, my blood sugars are optimized. My performance is optimized. I like it, but I'm curious where, where you're at on the same spectrum, because I know we share a lot of similarities when it comes to, you know, how we view food. Yeah, pretty, pretty exact or pretty similar to what I would feel about it. And I'm, I would generally describe myself as somebody who is probably on the higher carb side. And like for me, that's usually about kind of on average, maybe 300 grams per day. But, and that's where like, I feel at my best. I feel energized. You know, I'm confident with that amount in terms of keeping my blood sugar stable. I have energy for the gym. I can push hard in the gym, these kind of things. I get out of bed with more energy, I feel. Whereas when I have kind of 
gone through periods where I have been super low carb and I've purposely been testing it out. Like even, even for me, a hundred grams or less, I'm like, (laughs) I feel as if I'm almost kind of melting throughout the day just because my energy is so much lower. And then heavy gym sessions are are a real struggle, Uh a real struggle. So yeah, for me, the average where I kind of feel at my best is, is about kind of 300 grams carbs from, and I love the way that you say everybody's different and that's Mm. the key because we all have different routines. We all have different commitments. We all have different desires. We all have different bodies. What works for you might not even work for me, even though we're very similar, probably in how we train and the type of lifestyle that we live. And I think like sometimes there can be almost even, even online, like a pressure to eat a certain way oh yeah for me i see low carb low carb low carb low carb too much i feel because a lot of people don't or aren't suited to low carb and it's all it's hilarious when you say low carb and how we think of low carb because when i was in i don't i don't think i shared this all that much online but when i was in grad school i had started out doing a phd focusing strictly on type one and nutrition so all i studied for a couple years was what is the best macronutrient combination to optimize your blood sugars and your body composition. I did everything but the dissertation, decided I wanted to work with people instead of working with a lot of data and computers. So I switched to becoming a dietitian. But during those first two years, every time I would bring up low carb, I would be referring to them and what we think of low carb, right? 40 grams a day, 50 grams a day, under 100 per day. Their Mm -hmm. idea of low carb as the researchers was usually 40% or more like 45% of calories total from carbs, which for some people might be 200, 225, 250. And that just, that delineation, I I have to throw that in there because it's mind blowing at how different the perspectives are because we see it as 40 grams. These people are thinking 240 could be low. And I'm thinking, no, this is not how it's supposed to be in this world. (laughs) And that was another issue I had. And I won't, you know, bore you with all the details of my grad school experience. But what I will say is it's all relative and out of the gate, I feel like there's so many people that you must be low carb or online. You must be really high carb. It's the extremes I feel like are what we see more than anything. And we don't see the let's fit somewhere in the middle or it's okay to fit somewhere in the middle and to be accepting of that. And that's where both of us have ultimately landed from what it sounds like. I always look at diabetes is like a very unique experience for everybody who lives with it it's the same condition but how we live with it our relationship with it how we want to manage it can be so different so yes take bits of this bits of this bits of this bits of this whatever you think can serve you well and Mm. test it out try things you know see what see what works best for you because i'm sure you're similar to me, Ben. We've, we've tried so many different things in, in relation to purely just our own management. And we've kind of come to a place where we have that confidence to know, oh, yeah, this is how I feel my best. This is how I keep my bloods in the place that I want them consistently. 100%. And I, I feel like it's, it's even, even in, when you go to a regular dietitian in the, you know, the, the clinic, you're first diagnosed, they're still trying to put everybody into a similar box. There's so much one size fits all the 45 to 60 grams of carbs at breakfast and 60 to 75 at lunch and 60 to 75 at dinner. 
And I'm getting told this as, you know, a seven-year-old kid. And then <laughs> I hear people getting diagnosed at 35 who are the same exact information is being dispersed to 20 plus years later. So if that doesn't say that we need a more individualized approach, I don't know what really mm-hmm. does. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's people that are relatively in tune with our bodies, you know, and I feel like most people with diabetes are pretty in tune with their bodies. It's okay to experiment and it's okay to say, I'm going to go try lower carb for a week. Maybe I'll step my way down. So I'm not jumping from 300 to hundred. So I feel like I was just, you know, punched in the gut and my workouts are <laughs> dragging, but at the same time, you know, maybe I'll step my way down and see if maybe somewhere on the middle is perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Like that is totally okay. And obviously if people don't, you know, have the confidence to try it on their own or they're worried about their blood sugars. That's where they can always get support as well. Hmm. How did you process that sort of information being thrown at you as a a (laughs) seven-year-old? Well, I was like, well, I like math. I like that they told me numbers. So I took everything very literally. So I was that kid where I would be at 57 grams of carbs at breakfast and I would go looking in the kitchen for the other three. (laughs) Like, oh, I could have three pieces of cheese. That'll be fun. I got to 60 and then, you know, shockingly, the fat would hit me later. My number would go high and I would have no idea what just happened. But I, it was very much like, this is the law. This is how it is. This is, you know, was it 1999. This is how it is. And this is just, you know, what you're going to do. And I don't think I really pushed back until I was in probably middle school. When I was like 12, 13. Cause I realized there's something off with this. And what if I don't want to eat 75 carbs at lunch? I had, I, this, you'll enjoy this. I was at a summer camp once I was, I think I was nine or 10. And they were so literal with how many carbs I had to have that the meal that was served at the camp, I think it was like green beans, chicken, like mushrooms, nothing that was going to be carb related. They literally went to the back and they're like, here's four juice boxes. Drink these so you can eat your lunch. And that was when the alarm bells started to go off. I'm like, why? Well, you need to have 75 grams of carbs. This will be 72. It's 18 per juice. But no. It was that was the first time where I started thinking something might be off here. So it was almost like set in stone that you could only eat with that exact amount of carbohydrate in the meal. These are your diabetes commandments and you're a kid, so you don't get to question anything. It was mind blowing. That was, I think, what really started me thinking about, hey, at the time, you know, pumps were not new, but they were newer. That was the first thing that had me thinking, you know, maybe consider a pump at some point because I don't have to take this injection and be stuck with whatever, you know, juice boxes I get served because I have to have something that has carbs. That was that was something else, let me tell you. And the information was different. You know, this is 20 Mm. plus years ago, but still. Mm. So how did you or when did you kind of start questioning this like or these commandments that you had been given since you were seven years old probably 10 11 12 12 for sure when at the time i was 12 to 13 i'm like something's something's a little off i think the pump once I, i got on a pump when i was 11 that was when it started to you know say hey I can be a little more flexible. I don't have to have 75, but the carbs were still constantly pushed. You must have carbs. Carbs are great. You have to have them at every meal. Your number's going to go low. And that was when I started thinking, what if I didn't want a meal with carbs? Would that be okay? Am I going to just spontaneously combust? Am I going to go to, you know, 50 every, every five seconds? Like what's going to happen? I was just, you know, still too nervous to do it at the time. Mm. So, you were obviously having this rebellious feeling towards 
the the commandments are like you have to have this many carbs you have to have this amount or else you can't eat you were obviously aware of this <clears throat> then my voice crack again you were you you were aware of this or kind of doubting this in a diabetic setting like a camp like around presumably other kids who had type 1 diabetes oh this that that situation was not diabetes camp that was like just camp with other kids oh okay 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 oh god no if that was diabetes camp i would have been uh, that would have been way worse <laughs> that's what i was thinking that's what i was oh thinking my god. okay so that this was like a, a setting with people who weren't diabetic yeah this was like the hey we taught one of the staff members you know that you need 75 carbs and they'll here's the little book because there wasn't you know apps and mm. things like that here's the book with all the average amounts of carbs let's see if they can figure it out for you and you know you're you're an advocate you're nine you're then i went the next year so you're 10 you can help tell them if they're wrong mm. so Okay. Yeah. There's there's a reason I ended up becoming a dietitian, right? There was <laughs> just tell. so much nonsense that I was thrown for such a long time that I was just told believe this dogma or else, you know, something could potentially happen to you and over time, I, the real time I started really questioning it was in high school because that was when I started actually acting upon these things we were talking about. I started thinking about them before, but that was when I'd see a dietitian and I would ask about sports specific stuff. I was playing baseball, I was playing other sports and I never could get a clear answer. It was kind of like, well, you could try this or, you know, hey, this professional football player eats this many carbs and this much protein. So maybe you should too. And it's like, I'm a 16 year old baseball player and they're talking about a, you know, 32 year old quarterback. Like that's probably not going to align very well. And I realized that the education gap just was, there was this massive gap that nobody was filling. And maybe there were good, you know, educators and dietitians that I just hadn't met. But in my little experience of living in Wisconsin, that was, you know, what I was getting at the time. I'm curious to know, because I was diagnosed at, at 19. So I kind of skipped like the, the childhood years and the teenage years to a certain extent. How, how different is your relationship now with your diabetes personally compared to how it was as a child or as a teenager? I mean, I think the best the best thing that could, you know, say this is different would be when I was on my 10th anniversary. So I was 17. I was like all withdrawn by myself, sad, depressed. And then my 20th anniversary, I went on a trip to Chicago and ate my way through Chicago just to show that I could do it. So if that gives any indication, that's probably, you know, I'm going from. I'm sad and, you know, I want to cry, but I'm, you know, at 17 and I don't think crying is appropriate, but <laughs> separate conversation. Mental health is very important. You know, going to, hey, I'm eating like gelato filled tacos and other ridiculous things and Chicago pizza because yay, diabetes. So I think that that would tell you something, but it, it takes a toll on you, especially as a kid, because when there's not many other people around who get it, especially when the technology was lagging, it was not easy, man. Mm. Yeah, there's a quote that I have here from you, and I, I took it from your Instagram page, and it says, um, growing up with type 1 diabetes, I was told no a lot, and by a lot, I mean pretty much every single day. If it wasn't a teacher or a coach who told me that I wouldn't be able to achieve anything substantial in either my academic or athletic career, it was some kid at school who would tell me how my diabetes would not allow me to do anything and I didn't deserve to play on certain teams or have certain opportunities because I was different. I'd never be able to 
throw a baseball really hard. I'd never be able to get abs. I could dream, but good luck. It got really old, really fast at a young age. Instead of allowing that to make me sad, depressed and scared, I took that as motivation and allowed it to fuel my fire. Love that. Oh, I mean, it, it's every ounce of that is true, though, as it was constantly. <laughs> nope, you can't do this. There was one time where um, this is probably the one of the most notable. I was 12. There was one travel baseball team in the area. Went to the tryout, was best friends with, you know, the coach's kid. Everyone's super excited. You know, we're we're hitting, we're throwing. I, you know, the kid sees the roster on his dad's, you know, clipboard. Hey, you're on the roster. I'm so excited. This is great. Let's go celebrate. Let's go to Dairy Queen. And you, I'm sure you're familiar, you know, Dairy yeah, Queen. Yeah. Like, let's, let's get <laughs> yeah. ice cream. This is great. You know, we're 12. This will be fun. We go to Dairy Queen. And from all of the adrenaline and how nervous I had been and, you know, all the excitement, my blood sugar was 456. So... It was really high. I'm trying to convert that in my head, but it was well over 25 if we're going yeah. millimoles. I think it was 27, 27 and a half, 28. What did you say? It was You were four, what? 450, 456. 456. Yeah, 25.3, so really 25, high, I, yeah, really high. Something. It was really high. So irrespective, I sit there and I'm like, I probably shouldn't eat this ice cream right now. And I do question these days if, you know, maybe had I just eaten the ice cream and shut up if things could have been totally different. But I'm the 12-year-old that's, oh, hey, you know, I probably shouldn't eat this right now. My blood sugar is 456. And the next day I get the phone call, you know, telling me that I'm not on the team. And I'm like, that's really strange. And then they pretty much were like, yeah, your blood sugars could be a problem. And we travel all over the state and this won't happen. And then that followed me for the next, God, I was 12, until I was a senior in high school. It followed me every single year, all the way through middle school, all the way through high school. Oh, he's a medical liability. Oh, he can't, you know, do whatever because something might happen. He could be a problem. This could be an issue. And it was, wow. it was devastating, as I'm sure you can imagine. You're a kid. This is all your best friends on this team. And it just wasn't ever happening. And then that, to me, said, okay, now all these kids think, you know, they're better than me. Now all these kids are going to, you know, say what they're going to say. And kids are cruel. And then it became, you know, what you just read. It would go from, oh, you'll never throw hard. Oh, you can't get abs. Oh, you can't get strong. Oh, you're lifting. That's cool. Good luck with that. Oh, you're not going to do anything of substance. or And, you know, when it's, that's your life, it's really hard. And so I would just take that as, okay, I'm going to show all these people. I'm going to make this happen. Watch me, you know, sit back and watch me. And it would be hilarious. I'd go somewhere else. And I was in high school. I went to, actually, ironically, Florida to go train at baseball. Totally different people. You know, nobody knew who I was. And I walk in and people are like, yeah, man, you're really good. And I go home and I'm like these same people that you know, I just was told I was really good by people that are actually good. And I go home and everybody thinks that, you know, they're so great because of what they've been spoon fed for so many years. So it was really, really tough as a kid mm-hmm. having to go through that again and again and again and again. So that's just a, a tidbit into the world. Yeah. Wow. And like that's a perfect example of something that I wouldn't have been exposed to because I wasn't diabetic at, at that time in my life. And I'm thinking, yes, of course, that would have been unbelievably difficult to deal with because obviously you love your sport, all your friends are on the team. It's like a massive friendship and community building sort of process at that age. But also on top of that, you're still a young child trying to get their head around diabetes. Right. 
So the resentment just would grow. Like, why do I have to have this thing? Why is this thing the thing that's holding me back? Like I could show up and do double as well as anybody else, but it didn't matter because they already had their preconceived notion from that one incident from what, 2004, 2005 at the time, whatever year, you know, from so far in the past and it just carried through. And I mean, that could also be, you know, a reflection of the people and there's other factors who knows what else was going on. And as a kid, you only see it through your lens, but it just, you know, it, it starts to get to a point where I would then going into high school, I didn't even want to tell people I had diabetes. I would keep it completely to myself. I would not dose, you know, in front of people, people would ask if I had, you know, an iPod or a Pedron. I'd be like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's cool. Like I would go to events with people from other places, like different, you know, youth group stuff or, you know, whatever groups you can go to. And I would literally, people would ask why I would eat different food because maybe they would have something that I knew would mess with my blood sugar. And I would tell them I was lactose intolerant just because I didn't feel like explaining it for the umpteenth time and getting judged about it. It was, it was not a pleasant experience until I finally started to accept it. And that was, you know, when things started to get a little bit better, but even still by a little bit better, it just was neutral instead of absolute hell. Mm. Jeez, that's strong to say absolute hell. It was. I mean, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and look at me with my diabetes pun. But yeah, you know, I wow. I can't sugarcoat it. It was it was a really I would say the the middle school years and early high school years were a really, really tough time. And I think diabetes played a massive role into that. So how did you start making the shift then, even mentally? Because like you even just go onto your Instagram. You can see how confident you are of it. You can see how active you are. You can see how fit you are. You can see how strong you are physically and mentally. How did you start making that shift from, as you said yourself, admittedly absolute hell to now being successful business owner, you know, a, a massive advocate for diabetes, somebody who is confident of their health and their condition? I, I would say a lot of it was back, you know, when I, I made the shift partway through high school where at least it got to neutral, right? So it went from horrible, horrible, one out of 10, nobody recommends to at least a five out of 10. Cause I went to a couple diabetes events outside of the state, met other people who had it. And that community aspect, I cannot understate how important that is because meeting other people who had it during a time in my life where I was super vulnerable was just incredibly important. Cause I recognized, Hey, these people are cool. I'm normal. You know, people might not be nice, you know, where I live, but doesn't mean people won't be nice in general. And I think some of that helped with my confidence. So I'm more willing to put myself out there and, you know, say, hey, I'm going to, you know, just live my life. And if it comes up, if someone doesn't like me for it, cool, that's on them. That's not on me. And then going into college, you know, you start completely fresh. It had to be a whole fresh, clean slate. Hey, I can still train. Hey, I can still play. You know, I can still do all these different things. And after a while, I think it just became, hey, this is just a part of me. And if you like me, cool. And if you don't like me, then also cool. I think 50 Cent said it best. He said, I am what I am. You can like it or love it. And I just started adopting that as my mantra. And it just kind of eventually just shifted into, you know, hey, now I go to grad school for diabetes research, right? I go to grad school for diabetes stuff. At that point, it was so integrated into me. I just continued to see what would happen with it. And I just became more passionate instead of avoiding it. I said, this is me. This is how I am. And I'm just going to roll with it and let people, you know, let the chips fall where they're going to fall, let people think what they're going to think. Yeah, that's amazing. And like looking at you now and looking at <laughs> what you do now, like I didn't even know this. This is the first time I'm hearing it. So mm. it it's even more impressive what you do now, given the history that you had with your own diabetes. And I actually think about this 
relatively frequently around how would I have been as a child with my diabetes? Because I find it difficult to really know how I would be because it's almost hard to comprehend. Because when I was diagnosed, I was at a stage in my life where I was already quite self-assured. I was already okay to deal with it. So I always think, geez, yeah, if I was a, if I was a kid, how would I have dealt with it? If you were to, that was just me speak, thinking out loud, yeah, by the course. way. If you were to go back again, right? Let's say, mm-hmm. go back to day one, you're diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Pre-absolute hell. <laughs> what would you have done differently, if anything? Or what would you have said to yourself? Or what would you have changed, if anything? That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list.